we don't recognize love, respect, esteem as needs. We're always being told that you're not good enough. And in fact, they lined us up uh, in rows, and the worse you were, the further to the back and the left you were. What you want to avoid is this soul-destroying apples-to-oranges comparison. Welcome to How to Be an Adult. We're a new podcast created by the practitioners at the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada. It's for people like you who've inadvertently become adults and don't know what to do about it. So whether you're 18 or 80, this is a trail guide to the uh, life that nobody gave you when you got equality with your parents. And so we are publicly sharing knowledge in order to democratize uh, self-assurance. Now, episode three continues where episode two left off. No man is an island. How do you relate to the people around you? Well, the, the metaphor that I'm going to share is that you have a permanent seat at the grown-up table. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, there's a kid's table and there's a grown-up table and the kids talk about, like, you know, the kid stuff that kids talk about, you know, G.I. Joe and, like, He-Man and stuff. This was the 80s for me. And then the adults had the grown-up table where they talked about things that mystified kids like <laughs> me. Mm -hmm. I imagine they, they probably talked about things like politics. Mm -hmm. They talked about things like working. They talked about things like relationships and sex and who's dating whom. And as an adult, your place is never going to be at the kids' table again. As an adult, you have a permanent seat at the grown-up table where you are an equal to the, the other adults in the room. Once you're 18 and you show your ID, your opinions count so highly that you get to help set the future of the country mm. or the city or the province or the state that you're in. So it's not just talking mm -hmm. where you have a quality. It's actually making important civic decisions. Mm -hmm. I want to point out that they wouldn't ever let a five or six-year-old vote. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even let a 10-year-old vote because mm -hmm. with only five or six or 10 years of actual life experience, you just can't make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. Society has basically decided in, in, in most Western democracies that once you have a whole 18 years mm -hmm. of life experience, that's enough years of life experience that you can... Cast your vote at election time and have your vote counted equally. And I suppose the assumption is also that maybe you don't know everything about politics, maybe you don't know everything about human behavior within power structures or hierarchies or any of those things, but there has to be a, uh, a date point. I mean, when I, was <laughs> when I was 10, I was a communist. I mean, and which in a way kind of make, I mean, excuse me, I, I any, any communist, it, it kind of to, makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, in the sense that, if in a perfect world where everybody was nice to each other mm -hmm. and uh, we could all share equally, as a child, that makes a fair amount of sense. Because in a sense, that's like playing with your friends, you know, uh, in the playpen. But, you know, come uh, 18, I was certainly not uh, a communist. I didn't know what I was, that's for sure. But I suppose there has to be a date point at which we say, well, you have the qualities and skill sets that you need in order to make a discerning choice about how you as a person uh, uh, operate within a greater community. Right. It's never going to be perfect decision-making. Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be good enough decision making. Mm -hmm. A topic that was raised in the prior episode is when should you feel like an adult? Or if you don't feel like an adult, what's up with that? I would suggest that when there's such a clear dividing line Mm -hmm. uh, in pretty much every democracy, it's going to be 18. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's around when our feelings of being only a child are no longer truthful Mm. and our feelings of actually being at the grown-up table now Mm -hmm. are actually an accurate representation of our current stage in life. Um, that, That dovetails very neatly into the subject of today's episode, which is your place in the world. In the few cases where we've kind of found feral children, Mm -hmm. basically raised by wolves, (laughs) they never quite learn how to integrate into society. So, you know, when it comes to nature versus nurture, it seems to be nurture that causes one to be well integrated Mm -hmm. into society. That dovetails quite neatly into the next principle, Mm -hmm. which is to approach others with a cup that is full. Right. So so here's the metaphor. When you're a small child, you can't get your own cup. You can't reach the faucet. You can't turn it on and Mm -hmm. fill up your own cup. So you had to either be thirsty inside your own home or wait for an older sibling or a parent to come along and fill up your cup so you wouldn't be thirsty any longer. Mm -hmm. And then one day you reach a size where you don't have to depend on anyone Mm -hmm. else to fill up your cup. And then you never, ever, ever have to be thirsty inside your own home Mm -hmm. again. And that was a good day. As we become increasingly adults, there are more and more of these kinds of milestones Mm. where we fill up our own cups. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we learn to cook our own food. I hope (laughs) we all at some point learn to cook our own food. At least Pop-Tarts and uh, and pot noodles, right? Yeah, Yeah. at least to operate a microwave. (laughs) While we all recognize that water and food are needs, Mm -hmm. that we have to give ourselves these things if we're lacking in them, For some reason, even though it's on Maslow's hierarchy, we don't recognize love, respect, Mm. esteem as needs. So often we just kind of make do without, Mm -hmm. and our cups are empty Mm -hmm. in in that regard. Somehow no one tells us that, well, by the time we're adults, we we have a mature enough mind, heart, psyche, whatever you want to call it, that we can use our self-reflection to be self-loving and Mm self-accepting and self-respecting and self-esteeming, which are verbs, not nouns. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we fill up our own cups, ideally to the point where our cup runneth over. Mm -hmm. And then we can be generous toward others because we have enough for ourselves. Mm. When people walk around and it's like, sure, they have enough water and they have enough food and they have enough air to breathe, Mm -hmm. but they don't have enough loving or or being respected Mm. and being esteemed, it it could go one of two ways. Either they become a jerk or a a narcissist and they try to feel good by putting others down. Mm -hmm. Or if they won't hurt other people, then they end up hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know that this is a very persistent attitude or 
mental map to get caught in. Because if you, I mean, uh, I went to a ballet school, right? So I went to the Royal Ballet School at the age of 10. You auditioned to get in, it's a big deal. I, I hated it there. Um, one of the things that was, uh, that defines training as a ballet dancer is that you are always told what you're doing wrong. You're always t being told that you're not good enough. And they, in fact, they lined us up uh, in rows and the worse you were, the further to the back and the left you were facing the, so you were very, very clear. And that if you, if you were moved one along, that was a good day, but that was at the expense of the other person, right? It's a terrible way to teach children. Right, so it's not just that your cup's empty. Yeah, it's that whenever it starts to get full, someone comes along and right. empties it out. For <laughs> right. Yeah. So, or even you do it yourself. Yep. Right. Now, one of the cool things about being self-validating, self-accepting, self-respecting, self-esteeming, self, self-loving, etc., is that then your happiness and your inner peace are independent. Of what others think mm. so if I imagine that there's a kid in that ballet class and they can't really be broken and th they remain self-validating mm -hmm. and self-accepting then they are keeping their cup relatively full and such a kid can help to lift up the other kids mm -hmm. but then if everyone continually has their their cups emptied of positive regard and, mm -hmm. and esteem I can't imagine that being a supportive, collegial <laughs> kind of environment, even among the students. Well, it was, it, and it also, I think it also affected the adults in the school as well. I mean, bullying was rife, and even amongst the, I think, amongst the teachers as well, between them. And the, the teachers bullied the children, the children bullied the children. I mean, it was, I could tell you stories like your hair curl. So no one's cup is full. Yeah. And yet every human being, the adults and the children, have the capacity I guess that the children less so than the adults, mm -hmm. but the adults definitely have the capacity to have their, their hearts full of esteeming and respecting and caring, and then to operate from that place. If the teachers were in a position where their cups were, because they'd been taught in their turn by, you know, tyrannical, blood-drawing <laughs> teachers themselves, you know, in a, in a profession that is notoriously tough to even survive in for any length of time, you know, I mean, yep. I, I sort of see the teachers as being, you know, uh, sufferers of PTSD, just meeting out the same stuff to their, their students, I mean. It's a cycle of abuse. Yeah. I mean, here it's in a school, elsewhere it's in a household. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. So then, as an adult, you might say, well, if that is your unfortunate heritage, then it is incumbent on you as an adult to be able to transcend that. Yes, and by being self-loving and self-accepting right. and self-respecting, to have a cup that's full when you approach others, ideally even one that runneth over, mm -hmm. I want to point out that this is not antisocial. Hmm. To have enough self-loving, mm -hmm. then you know, you've got plenty of love to give to others. This is not selfish to the detriment of other people. Mm -hmm. It's also a pro-social thing to do. Mm -hmm. So in contrast to that school, mm -hmm. if we imagine another school where everyone is filling up their heads and hearts... Mm -hmm with self-esteeming, self-caring, self-respecting, mm -hmm. self-loving thoughts, then we can imagine how easily the teachers are patient with the children, mm -hmm. how easily the students can support each other, mm -hmm. how the bullies are the unusual ones who stand out mm -hmm. and are ostracized. If we just kind of imagine as a thought experiment this, <laughs> this other school, yeah. right? And in sports psychology, hmm. 
telling yourself that you can, not that you can't, is, I believe, a fairly well-established mm-hmm. principle. But there's also with that, there's got to be a certain, a certain honesty with yourself and with those around you. Because you, you could say, listen, I'm awesome. I'm great. You're going to address me as the great Pascal. That's it. We're done. So it's a, in, a, in a sense, it's a different kind of, what is it? It's a, a kind of quiet and, I don't know, a deep sense of self-esteem, which is not, uh, when you say it's pro-social, it's pro-social as a result of this deep sense of self-esteem rather than something which is demanded that the rest of the world give you. Do you well, sort of mean it? That's the difference between self-esteem and mm-hmm. esteem from others. Right. Esteem from others is, is not guaranteed. Yeah. Right? But self-esteeming as a verb, mm-hmm. as an internal process, produces then the feeling we call self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And that is much more dependable right. than esteem from others. Right. That the person who demands that, that others must esteem them mm-hmm. is never going to be secure. Yeah. Whereas the person who holds self-esteeming thoughts and then achieves that feeling we call Mm self-esteem, he or she has a much more stable, secure feeling. Mm. I mean, for what it's worth, I think that that's kind of like a a superpower. To to me, that that sort of strong self-esteem and importantly, an ability to still have self-esteem as well as accepting responsibility for errors, for feeling shame and guilt, and still feeling that you're a, a learning, worthwhile human being, you know, but without that flipping out into to being, well, in which case I'm not guilty, <laughs> do you sort of what I mean? I would say that self-esteeming, and I'll, I'll keep phrasing it as, as a, a verb. process, yeah. Self-esteeming is what allows you to feel guilt or shame, mm-hmm. to acknowledge mistakes, mm-hmm. to acknowledge you're not perfect, at the same time, you don't crumple up yeah, into a ball. Because you don't need to hide, I no. suppose. You don't need to hide because you have this, It's not, you don't run away from shame with a presentation of esteem. Yep. Right, okay, okay, yeah. At the risk of sounding moralistic, the, the next principle I want to share is, is that as adults, people will generally take you at your word. Mm-hmm. And because they value your word, you also valuing your word, mm. speaking with integrity, using your word to uplift others, not to cut them down. I'm going to say make you more of an adult. Yeah. Well, because you don't hold some, you don't hold a child as accountable for their promises of what they're going to do in the same way that you do an adult. And also, I suppose that integrity, that sense of honest commitment, I suppose, that's going to spring from self-esteem as well, because if if you're afraid or if you're uh, filled with shame, you might be you might um, uh, be fearful of achievement. There's all these other things that come spring from that, right? You might even be afraid to speak what you believe to be truthful. Right. If you feel ashamed, you might even be afraid to say no, thank you. Yeah. If you feel ashamed, um, or if you think you'll be exposed as a bad person mm-hmm. just because you tell the sales clerk, "Oh, thank you very much," and yeah. then you walk away. Yeah, yeah. I am much more pleased. Mm-hmm. When people are honest mm. and straightforward with me, and if I've said something that could cause them offense, mm-hmm. or if I've asked for too much, if they just straight up tell me, that pleases me quite a lot. Yeah. What, what doesn't please me is when people lie thinking I can't handle whatever honest yeah. answer that they have inside their hearts. And it 
reaffirms your view of yourself as very much a mature adult mm. who speaks the truth when you say no, when you mean no. Mm-hmm. One other point that I'm going to put under this topic is that a lot of people think it's cool to be cynical. Mm. It's sophisticated to be negative yeah. and to, to cut down others who are sincerely trying to have a good time or and, and sincerely self-expressing. Which even dresses itself up as a certain kind of honesty as well, which is not... It, it's, you know, it, it looks it, like it, but it's not. No, no. because if, if we imagine an art critic, mm-hmm. they're not going to be that negative and <laughs> cynical. They're going to be quite open, mm-hmm. and they're going to have appreciation for the piece that's in mm. front of them, even if they end up tearing apart that piece in their criticism. Yeah. It is with appreciation for the art form. Yeah, and, and also... Uh, the best critics understand that the things that they're looking at most of the time are the result of an enormous amount of time or effort or dedication or uh, life choices, uh, collaboration between multiple skill sets. That it's not a negligent thing that somebody's just you know put up that needs a negligent response. No, I, well, we could look at Marcel Duchamp's. Um, what? Oh, piece of, yeah, sorry, that's the, 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 the urinal. <laughs> urinal. Where you know we, we could go two ways with mm-hmm. that. We could be like, oh, well, I just peed into one when mm-hmm. I went to the sports bar, mm-hmm. or we could spend you know a few hours if we wanted to mm-hmm. questioning what constitutes art. Mm-hmm. So the person who spends a few hours questioning mm-hmm. what constitutes art, right? Mm-hmm is, I'm going to say, more sophisticated. They're cooler right? Yeah. than the person who says, you, oh, I just peed into one at the sports you, you, bar. Yeah, you're not going to get any um, disagreement from me on that, but that's probably because that's my domain. But I, I'd also argue it's not just the arts. You can dismiss the sciences in the same way. And uh, in fact, uh, you don't need to think about French urinals. Yeah, you can. There's almost anything that you can be curious about and think more deeply about, mm-hmm. and that if your knee-jerk reaction is to bit dismiss and be cynical about it, whether it's yep. a pop tart or whether it's, yeah. you know, I've mentioned that twice. They should sponsor us. Um, <laughs> and that, and that, you know why it is because I had a pop tart for the first time, or a piece of a pop tart oh, uh, yeah? today, in fact. And, well, <laughs> and it was, what do you think it, of it? Well, it's pretty good. I mean, um, they're tasty. It's it, you know they don't pretend to be anything else. Yeah, I, I used to love those, but like raw, because <laughs> right. I, I was like twenty at the time when I loved yeah, yeah. pop tarts or toaster strudels, yeah. and, and you know it was easier just to open it up and eat it. It wasn't going to kill me. But this is the point: is that there's there's also the reverse cynicism, which yeah. sort of goes, you know, things that are a pop tart. Oh god, I never eat a pop tart. Do you know what yeah. I mean? There's a snobbishness which is yeah. an equal in force so far as that cynicism is concerned. Yeah, but, even the topic of this podcast, yeah. how to be an adult. Well, we have people who are listening because they actually want to do a deep dive yeah. into this topic. Yeah, they're yeah. not thinking, oh, well, I'm bigger than the children are. I'm definitely an yeah, adult. That yeah. They're actually interested in exploring this subject. Yeah. And they're going to be engaged in this discourse, at least in their own minds, as they hear us speak. Mm-hmm. What's next? Disagree with others yeah. when you believe they're wrong. Yeah. Even if you love and respect them. Yeah. This is, a, this is a lifelong endeavor, I think. So this is the problem. As soon as you have a, a relationship with somebody and you care about the relationship, in other words, you're in a community or with, even just uh, interpersonally, then they're going to say things and do things and reveal things that are uncomfortable, unpleasant, that reveal your weaknesses, your less attractive proclivities and so on, right? It's inevitable. And in fact, I say that's actually a good thing. It's important to have 
somebody else to sort of go, eh, yeah, that's that's not so cool. So therefore, to um, to say that you have to be honest is also to say, even in the situation where you fear the most, you have to be able to say what you believe is being true. And the stakes may be very, very, very high. And that's what makes it one of the most difficult rules, I think, for uh, many of us, is that because we care so much about an interpersonal relationship, we might just not say that thing. Being surrounded by sycophants, yeah, right? Having no one around you who's willing to challenge you, that's like going about life never looking in the mirror. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're eating a hot dog and you've got like mustard on one cheek mm -hmm. and you've got like ketchup around the other. <laughs> now, if you're in a world with no mirrors, then you're just blindly walking around with yeah. mustard and ketchup on your face. And if you're surrounded by, by sycophants, no one's even telling you that. And I never want to be the person walking around with condiments on my face. <laughs> and I, I hope our listeners don't want to be the person walking around yeah. with condiments on their face. Yeah. So having friends who are willing to call you out on your BS, yeah. having friends who value truth and truthful speech above just merely agreeable speech or mm -hmm. not rocking the boat. This is extremely valuable, even yeah. just for purely selfish reasons, yeah. so that you're not the person walking around with mustard on one cheek yeah, and yeah. ketchup on the other. Yeah. That dovetails very neatly into the next point that I mm -hmm. want to share, which is that as an adult, you have to set and enforce your own boundaries. Mm. You can't just let other people around you mm -hmm. set and enforce their boundaries for you. Mm -hmm. If you are going to treat yourself as an equal, if you are going to count your opinions as adult opinions that matter, then you have to determine and, and then set and enforce mm. your own boundaries. And to, to do that, you have to get comfortable with words mm. like no, mm -hmm. no thank you, mm -hmm. not a chance, absolutely not, go away, mm -hmm. and even the ruder variants, which in some extreme situations would be the correct thing to say yeah. and anything less, would not quite capture the sentiment mm -hmm. truthfully. So boundaries I, I see as coming from one's moral center. Because often boundaries feel like you're doing something bad to mm -hmm. someone or saying no feels mm -hmm. like you're wronging, wronging a friend. But when you feel like setting a boundary or saying no is coming from a moral principle, mm -hmm. then you can do it much more easily. Mm -hmm. uh, say you're, you're establishing boundaries with your parents, for example, and they, they don't want to sign on. Your choice is, right, I'm going to cut this parent out of my life forever. Well. Maybe that's necessary. I don't know. In some circumstances, no doubt. But in most cases, it's better to go, okay, here's my boundary. It's a shock to you, and it might need some explaining. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's that boundaries themselves coming from moral center does not mean that it's going to lead to conflict, but it might need negotiation because people, won't, people often don't understand. If you start suddenly saying no when you've normally said yes, then some people might find that offensive, might find it unkind, might misinterpret why mm -hmm. it is that you're doing, all those things, yep. right? So boundaries and negotiating boundaries, if they're coming from a good moral standpoint, you can actually explain that. You can actually, whereas a boundary for its own sake, if it's unexamined, is going to be much, much flimsier as a result. Well, it's like the difference between elevating truth above mm -hmm. agreeableness. Right. 
versus playing devil's advocate and being disagreeable just yeah. to be a jerk. Yeah. If your words, if your actions come from a well-reasoned moral place, mm -hmm. then it's not just that you can explain it to others, it's that others will comprehend why exactly. you're doing things differently yeah. much more easily. And if, and if they don't understand, well, that's not on you, which comes up to another yep. point. You can give yourself credit for explaining yep. it and setting the boundary and enforcing mm -hmm. it um, without blaming yourself if someone else's moral reasoning is less deeply thought out mm -hmm. than yours. This ties into an idea that I often have to convince people of, mm -hmm. which is that it's never that they're automatically wrong and others are automatically right. Mm -hmm. As a kid, as a young child, if there's disagreement, probably the adult's right, mm -hmm. probably you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And then as you gain more knowledge and yeah. life experience, yeah. then sometimes you'll be right and sometimes yeah. the adults will be wrong. Yeah. And you need adults to be honest about that too. Yes. <laughs> and by the time you are an adult, hmm. right, then, you know, let's say it's roughly 50-50. Yeah. So where there's disagreement, sometimes you're wrong, sometimes the other person's wrong and mm -hmm. you're right. And that's why you've got to have the conversation about, mm -hmm. you know, what's right, what's truthful, to try to figure out, you know, uh, an outcome where mm -hmm. both people can be right. Well, all of this kind of ties together. And th the next principle that I want to share is that you as an adult mm. are not responsible for the decisions of other adults. Yeah. So let's say that you set a boundary and they walk off in a huff because now they can't take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. You are not responsible for them walking away, just like you're not responsible for them having taken advantage of you in the first place. You are not responsible for the decisions of other adults. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for your own decisions, so you can give yourself credit for setting a boundary and mm -hmm. refusing to let that other person do things to you. Yeah. So when other people make mistakes, if they're not like your child, if they're a colleague, if they're a partner, if they're a parent, that's a burden for their conscience. Mm. That's for them to lose sleep over. That's for them to mull over and figure out. It's actually not a burden for your conscience, mm. nor is it for you to lose sleep over the mistakes of other adults. Mm -hmm. You also can't um, use that as an excuse not to look at your own role if it's there, but also be honest when it isn't. Yep. Most people who I you know see in my hypnotherapy practice, um, they're there because they can't sleep. Yep. They think too much. Yeah. They blame yeah. themselves. Yeah. You are right. There are people who would benefit from more self-reflection. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, most of what I'm sharing in this podcast comes from my work with individuals mm -hmm. who've gone out of their way yeah. to seek guidance or clarity. Yeah, and for, in, for, in for many to, people, to if you, again, if you don't have the self-esteem, that's going to be the default is that I must be wrong. Yep. yep. And it's never that you're always in the wrong or yeah, that you're yeah. automatically in the wrong. Or entirely in the wrong, at the very least. You know, exactly. There's, there's always two people yep. involved normally. You know? yep. So I'm going to make a huge, bold claim. Oh, God. Here we go. Which is that <laughs> morality, human mm -hmm. morality, in one sentence, is to prefer the pro-social over the antisocial. Right. And that if you are indeed um, embracing the pro-social and doing your best to act in a pro-social mm -hmm. way and to avoid actions or words that are antisocial, mm -hmm. then you're almost obligated to adopt a pluralistic yeah. 
live and let live attitude toward the other Mm -hmm. adults. And there are so many fine-grained details Mm. as to, you know, what counts as pro-social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a rule, Mm -hmm. if the the action or the words are pro-social as opposed to Mm anti-social, you're probably not making an egregious mistake. Right. It's when the actions or words are detrimental to Mm -hmm. others. Yeah. That's where you could be making an egregious mistake that could lose Mm -hmm. you a friend Mm -hmm. or or that could, you know, cause harm to Mm -hmm. others. So a really cool thing that happens Mm -hmm. when you approach others with a cup that's full Mm -hmm. is that people who approach you in the same spirit will vibe with you. Mm -hmm. And then if you're in any kind of relationship with that person, so not just romantic, but a friendship, Mm -hmm. a working relationship, then there is twice as much esteeming and twice as much respecting Mm -hmm. and twice as much loving and twice as much caring Mm -hmm. because two people with full cups Mm -hmm. have gotten together to form some kind of relationship. I I, I heard something recently, uh, probably on a podcast, uh, where the comment was, if you spend time with somebody and when you walk away you feel a little bit taller, pursue that friendship. Yes. Often people pursue relationships where only one person does the loving. Mm. It's not even worth the, the pursuit. Yeah. And even worse, some people are in relationships where zero people do mm. any loving. Or even if a relationship kind of starts with two people loving each other, if it devolves mm. to the point where zero people do the loving, then each person in that relationship is literally better off being alone, There's being a, single. It reminds me of a, a metaphor for, I suppose, uh, you know, relationships, which was that you're both rowing, and you both each got an oar, right? Uh, the the idea is to be rowing together in a direction. Um, you're you're joint captain in this case uh, of of your ship, but then sometimes one person might not need not be able to row. They're sick, they're tired, whatever it is, and so the other person might want to take over for a bit. If that's persistent and continues, then you end up going in circles because only one person is rowing. And if nobody rows, nobody's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you shouldn't be sharing a boat with them. The final principle for this episode (laughs) is that if you must compare yourself to others at Mm -hmm. all, if you must engage in this game of keeping up with the Joneses, Mm -hmm. only make apples-to-apples comparisons. Mm. I'll give you an example. If you use a visual-based social media (laughs) platform, (laughs) then... What you want to avoid is this soul-destroying apples-to-oranges comparison Mm. between the complexity and the rawness and genuineness of your very human life versus someone's plasticized photos Mm. on social media Mm -hmm. or someone else's one-page CV or resume Mm. or someone else's LinkedIn profile, none of which are really all that authentic. Mm-hmm. People go to social media to put their best foot forward. Yeah. But, I, but I'd also say uh, all media has a tendency to, uh, uh, so at TV shows, they, you've got teams of people doing costume and makeup, you know, and movies and theater. And you could say, it, it, and in advertising, obviously, you know, it, it's all over the place. The uh, fantasy sort of uh, spell weaving of an ideal, right? This is where I tell you the story about Christian Bale. 
Okay. So I was friends with Christian Bale at the age of nine, ten. Cool. And this was before he did Empire of the Sun. And uh, I, I won't tell too too much of the story because obviously, you know, this is, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> well, he became an adult. Well, he became an adult. Yes, true. <laughs> he became an adult with uh, his, his, his pathway. And I had my pathway and he had his. In an alternate universe, we would have had a very similar pathway. Let's, let's put it that way. So as an actor, of course, you might think, well, that must be galling to see somebody that you started off with, beginning of the apples to apples comparison here, you know, somebody you started off with being so successful and being a great actor. And I really think he is. I have a huge respect for, for his acting. And the funny thing is that in some curious way, because I knew him when we were just kids, is that I see the human in him. And I think, I have no way of knowing, nor should I ever assume that he's either happier or more miserable than me. In fact, the majority of what there is that's, you know, if we say how much is different between us, it wouldn't be that much, ultimately. And in some ways, that's, that's much how I look at a lot of social media is that, you know, I know that I post up stuff which is pitched to a particular audience. I don't show my worst aspects, my worst times on social media. I do amongst my friends and in certain uh, closed communities, should we say, it'll be more, more, there'll be more range. But I, I know that that's what I'm doing. I know what that's what everybody else is doing. Even the fake, like, waking up, oh, I'm so tired, look at me. And it's, all, it's all nonsense and smoke and mirrors. And I look at that and kind of think, there's just a bunch of humans there who are just as miserable or happy as anybody else. And, there's, and this is no evidence of it being either one way or the other. Absolutely. And as a hypnotherapist, I get to see people behind closed doors. Mm. Some of them have well-known names. Mm -hmm. Some of them are quite successful in the, you know, traditionally socially approved of sense. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of them, you know, being, let's say, a dad or a mom and in their 50s with, like, books they've written mm -hmm. or, you know, a very high-flying career, mm -hmm. they're listening to me talk <laughs> about how to yeah. be a happy, peaceful yeah. adult. Because we're all human, mm. because no one is their social media feed, mm. no one is their IMDb profile, <laughs> no one is their LinkedIn profile. And, you know, once we, we kind of look behind the scenes, this sounds so cliched, but, but no one is perfect. Mm. No one has a perfect life, mm. but everyone has a human life mm. because everyone is a human being. And all the emotions that the you go through, all the emotions I go through, mm -hmm. are human emotions. Mm. The, the fact that we sometimes can't get proper sleep and then we feel grumpy the next mm -hmm. morning, every single person on the <laughs> yeah. planet we'll, we'll come goes across through that. this. Yeah. This kind of neatly wraps up the episode with the point that we all have a seat at the grown-up table. We don't have to be perfect before being granted our seat at the grown-up table. You don't have to wait for a magical day when you are just like, you know, the popular kids' social media feed. If you cross the line of 18, congratulations, mm -hmm. you're an adult. Exactly. And then, of course, that also means that the skills that you need and the perspectives that will work better for you as an adult, you may not have got those in your childhood and adolescence. So that's when um, learning these new perspectives and really integrating them into your everyday life becomes uh, pretty important. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. 
if you want us to think about your specific challenges in doing adult life as well as you can and being as happy and peaceful of an adult as you can be, we're both available for hire through the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis. We're based in Toronto, Canada, but we do see clients worldwide. The website is www.morphysclinic.com. You can reach out to our team through there and we'll write you a treatment plan if we think we can help. In case you're not quite familiar with the H word, <laughs> I wouldn't be too concerned about it. It's, it's a way to suspend disbelief. It is a way to set aside your prior beliefs in order to accept and adopt new ones. We're very careful to suggest ideas that you have approved of in advance. And that's what the consultation process is about. And so if you like uh, what we're talking about and you haven't yet, please follow us on YouTube uh, at Morpheus Hypnosis. You can also find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and um, uh, make sure that you get notified for next week's episode, which is lessons from childhood you need to unlearn to become an adult. <laughs>